Uh, this past deacons meeting, our deacons set our Lottie Moon goal at 62,000. Last year the goal was uh, 58, and you gave a little over 83,000. And so they did push the goal up a little bit, and we anticipate this year not only meeting the goal, but exceeding it once again, God willing. I want to challenge you to make this uh, Lottie Moon uh, offering for international missions the biggest gift that you give at Christmas. And I want to remind you, every single dollar of what you give gets directly to the mission field. It's not eaten up in administrative expenses because your cooperative program dollars help with that. And so every dollar you give to the SBC mission uh, offerings goes where it's needed most there on the, the mission field. So pray about what God would have uh, you to give. And speaking of giving, some of you need to give your lives. Uh, you saw on the, the video there, the medical mission team. We cannot afford to send just preachers on the mission field. Uh, we need people in their career path, an engineer, an architect, someone with gifts in agriculture, going to these countries, getting a job in your respective field in that country, and using your income and your career path to then be a missionary in that country. And so if you're thinking, I'm not a preacher, I can't go to the mission field, you're sadly mistaken. Your career path, your expertise is needed on the mission field. And so some of you may want to be praying about that, will want to be praying about that, and speaking to us about that in days and months to come. I want to ask you to find 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in your copy of the Word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm going to concentrate on one verse, and that one verse would be verse 18. But we are going to back up to verse 14 and read down through to get the full context. And then also I'm going to ask you to find Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Because we'll be referencing that later on. Now normally I always preach from the ESV version, the English Standard Version, and that is also the Purack Bible. This morning, I am preaching from the Net Bible. Uh, Dr. Daniel Wallace at a Dallas Theological Seminary says the Net Bible, along with the 2011 version of the NIV, are the, the two Bibles that have the best manuscript research behind them. Uh, the good news about the Net Bible, you can go online at Bible.org. You can download this and make a thousand copies of it to give away, free of charge, before you even tell them about it. Download it. If you're in a Sunday school class and want everybody to have the same translation, you can download that book uh, from the website, give it to your class. And, and use that. Or you can buy a leather-bound version of it. The Net Bible. Over, uh, over 60,000 textual notes. Fabulous translation. 
This is the Bible that translators use today as they're working on other translations. They use this and, of course, the Greek and the Hebrew manuscripts. So anyway, I'll be reading from the Net Bible this morning. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? Beginning in verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the undisciplined, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient toward all. See that no one pays back evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Always rejoice, constantly pray, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not extinguish the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. But examine all things, hold fast to what is good, stay away from every form of evil. Again, verse 18, in everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts Open our eyes and ears and our understanding that we might hear what your Spirit is saying to your church. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Retired U.S. Marine Corps General Charles Krulak tells of the time when he was a non-believer and he was first confronted with the testimony of someone who was committed in their heart to the Lord Jesus. He says, and I quote, 35 years ago I was a young second lieutenant just graduated from the Naval Academy. I'd been married 14 days. My wife and I went down to Quantico, Virginia, home of the basic school where officers learn about honor and courage and commitment. At that time in my life, I thought I was a cross between John Wayne and Tom Cruise. Because I was married, I shared a room with another married officer named John Listerman. John was a wonderful human being. He exuded goodness. If I had asked him for his arm, he would have probably responded, where do you want me to cut it off for you, at the wrist or the elbow? John was a Christian. That meant nothing more to me at the time other than Christians must be nice people. Upon graduation, John and I went to Camp Pendleton, California, where we joined the same battalion going to Vietnam. There I saw another side to John. Everyone loved him because he was a tremendous leader. He was committed to his men and his men to him. He was a Marine's Marine. On a December morning in 1965, John and I went to war. His war lasted exactly one day. We were moving through the jungle when we rounded a corner and were ambushed. 
John took the first round, a 50 caliber bullet hit his kneecap. The explosion of the bone was so loud, everyone around him could hear it. John was catapulted up into the air and as he was coming down to the ground with his leg blown off, another bullet caught him just below the heart. I too was shocked, but nothing like John. From 30 yards away, John was looking over at me and asking if I was okay. When I told him that I was, he next asked, how about my men? Are they safe? And I indicated that they were. Blown apart, John looked up to the sky and said, Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for caring for my men. Thank you, Lord. I was dumbfounded. We were both evacuated from the jungle that day, and I later became a Christian. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. How thankful are you? You know, the first Thanksgiving days were harvest festivals, and that shouldn't surprise us at all because in American history, in early American history, we were pretty much an agricultural society. And so Thanksgiving was a time when God was thanked for the plentiful crops. And that's why the holiday still takes place even today in the fall after the crops have been gathered in. That's the history of the holiday. George Washington realized how reasonable it was to give thanks. In 1789, he issued the following presidential proclamation. He said, and I quote, Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for his benefits and humbly implore his protections and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God And then in that proclamation, he goes on to formally proclaim and declare a national day of thanksgiving. Abraham Lincoln did the same. It became an official November holiday under Lincoln in 1863 when he too proclaimed that a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent father, be set aside and observed by everyone. The very mention of Thanksgiving, the very mention of Thanksgiving Day probably calls up different memories for many of you. For some, you remember traveling to grandma's house and maybe sitting around a large table with all of your cousins and there's all the turkey and the ham and the stuffing and the pumpkin pie and all the other trimmings that go with the meal. And that's what you remember a day that you would get together with some of your extended family. For others, you remember the football games on Thanksgiving Day. 
Maybe seeing the Dallas Cowboys beat the Washington Redskins. All kinds of different memories about Thanksgiving. But folks, one thing we are to make sure that we do on Thanksgiving is to keep the thanks in Thanksgiving. In other words, it's not simply to be a day where we get together, uh, eat, eat all of the good food, and enjoy a day off. It is to be more than that. It is to be a day of giving thanks. We serve a good, good father. I don't know if you've noticed, but as Ronnie made allusion to before he gave the offertory prayer, Thanksgiving doesn't get the press that it deserves. It doesn't get the press that some of the other holidays get that focus more on materialism. It's kind of been bothering me recently. I walked my dog late at night right before bed and I noticed beginning even three weeks ago as people have their front doors open with just a glass storm door or the shades pulled open you can see inside of your house many homes already have the Christmas tree up and burning brightly and Christmas decorations. And I sit there and think to myself, can we not first of all get to Thanksgiving before we get to the holiday of going to the malls and buying gifts? Folks, we have so much to be thankful for. What we see in our text today is that gratitude is to be one of the key indicators In a Christian's life showing genuine trust in God. Gratitude is to be a key indicator in a believer's life showing genuine trust in God. Now first of all this morning I want you to look with me at the admonition. The admonition there in verse 18. Paul says, in everything give thanks. What's the command? What's the admonition? That in everything we're to give thanks. And it's in the present imperative meaning that we are commanded to do this not just occasionally, not just one time a year, but we are to do it as an ongoing way of life. As an ongoing way of life, you and I are to be a thankful people. Now, what's some of the things we could say about this admonition? First thing I want to say about it is just that. That thanksgiving is to be an ongoing way of life. Thanksgiving is to be an ongoing way of life. Now, Paul, you'll notice, is closing out this letter to the Thessalonians. And as he closes out this book, he is giving a laundry list of commandments. He's kind of like a preacher who knows the clock is running out on him. And he's still got a whole lot left to say. Can you relate to that in any way? You know, they say nobody's ever saved after 12 o'clock on Sunday. But folks, we've got to keep in mind, it's the Lord's day. It's not the Lord's morning, right? 
But it's like Paul realizes his time is running out. He's hastening to close the letter. But there is so much more that he wants to say. And so very quickly he says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. And abstain from every form of evil. But I want you to notice what's in that list of commands. Thanksgiving. In everything give thanks. It's to be a way of life. Gratitude is not to be optional. Folks, you are just as obligated and I am just as obligated to give our thanks to God as we are to give our lives to God. God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our thanksgiving. You know, it is a sin to be ungrateful. It's not just a mistake. It's a sin. It's a transgression. As a matter of fact, there may be no greater sin on the face of the earth than the sin of ingratitude. Shakespeare described ingratitude as a marble-hearted fiend. That is, he said that an ingrate had a heart of solid marble. He went on to say, I hate ingratitude more in man than lying, more than vainness or babbling or drunkenness or any taint of vice whose strong corruption inhabits our frail blood. He said again, how sharper than a serpent's tool it is to have a thankless child. I know of nothing that stings the heart of a parent as a child that is ungrateful for what the parent does for him. How much more our heavenly father. The blind poet Milton said this, He that is ungrateful has no guilt but one. All other crimes may pass for virtues in him. That is, he said, every other fault in a man would be like a virtue compared to the vice of ingratitude. Someone else has written these words. The thief may have some streaks of honesty in him. The deadbeat streaks of honor. The liar hours when he loves the truth. The libertine occasions when he has an impulse to be pure. But there is nothing redemptive in the ingrate. Now, folks, we shouldn't have to be reminded to give thanks. It ought to be a natural overflow of a heart that's been redeemed by the grace of God. And you know, all all that we really need to do is just stop and take time to meditate on the grace of God and examine everything that He's done in our lives. I've encouraged you in your prayer time to use that little word ACTS and an acronym to make sure that in in your prayer time you're not just focusing on one thing. We can get in a habit of just focusing on God, I need this or I need that. But if we use that little word ACTS, A is adoration, C is confession, T is thanksgiving, and S is supplication. If you're using that word to sort of govern and guide your prayer life on a daily basis, then that means every day you are including the T. You are including thanksgiving. 
And that's important. Again, we're being commanded here to give thanks. Go over your blessings as the hymn says. Count your blessings, name them one by one. And the song goes on to say, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Have you ever been surprised by what God has done in your life? Have you ever been surprised? Well, stop and count your blessings and you will be. You will be utterly amazed and surprised at the depth of the love and the grace and the mercy of God. Well, secondly, concerning this admonition, I want you to see that thanksgiving is to be all-encompassing. Not only is it to be ongoing, but it is to be all-encompassing. Look at what he says in verse 18. And, And I want you to look at your version of the Bible, this verse, very closely as I read it because I am going to read it literally as it is and I want you to test me in this. Paul says, give thanks when the sun is out and the weather is warm and the sky is blue and everything's going your way. A literal reading of that verse. Is that true? No. It's not what he says at all. He says, in everything give thanks. And and so not only are we to always give thanks, but we're to give thanks in everything. You know, this is where believers, I think, are so different than unbelievers. Because in an unbeliever's life, what is it that guides them? What is it that directs them so oftentimes? What is the rudder in their life? It is circumstances. If circumstances are going their way, if they have all of their comforts met and all their conveniences, then they're grateful. But if they don't have everything going their way, they're bitter, they're angry. But what's the scripture say about a believer? A believer is to be grateful in everything. In fact, Paul says in Romans 8, 28, that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him. Now, he's not saying that everything's good because there are bad things, there are evil things, there are sinful things in life. But Paul is saying that in all things, even those bad things, God is able to bring good out of it and to work good in a believer's life. The thing that you hate most about your life right now, if I were to ask you to name something in your life right now that you would change, I mean, it'd be a no-brainer. You would, cha- it, you would change it in an instant if you, had, if you had it your way. Folks, I want you to think about something. That may end up being the very thing that God uses in your life To grow you the most. There may be a day that you look back on that. Whatever it is now that you hate and despise. There may be a day in the future at some point. That you look back on your life. And you're grateful. You wouldn't want to go through that again. But you're you're glad that God did that in your life. This time. Because of what he did in your life through that. 
James says we're to count it all joy whenever we fall into various trials, knowing that God develops patience and maturity out of that. Paul says in everything give thanks. Paul say, uh, James says we're to, we're to have an attitude of joy in all things. Even trials. Is that how you live your life? Some of the darkest hours in life can break into some of the brightest sunshine before it's said and done. I think about the Apostle Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. How when they got to Philippi, they they were beaten with robes, they were whipped, they were scourged, then they were thrown into a Philippian jail. But rather than sighing, they started singing. And we know the end of that story, right? God delivered them. And a pagan Philippian jailer ended up getting saved out of that whole thing. Matthew Henry, the famous Bible teacher, was once accosted by thieves and robbed of all of his money. He wrote these words in his diary. He said, I'm so thankful, first, because I've never been robbed before. Secondly, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took everything I had, it wasn't very much. And fourth, it was I who was robbed And not somebody else. Wow. And then who can forget Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. God gave the apostle Paul a thorn in the flesh. And the Greek word, you know, sometimes we think it was just something little, like a little splinter. And that's not the Greek word at all. The Greek word that is used is, is, it, it was a thorn in the flesh that was like a big dagger. It was something that troubled him deeply. It was a burden in his life that was huge. And he said repeatedly he went before the Lord to ask the Lord to take it away. And the Lord didn't. The Lord ended up saying to him, Paul, you're going to learn that my grace is sufficient for you. So he learned about the sufficiency of God's grace Not with the absence of the thorn, but with the presence of the thorn. God uses all things in a believer's life. And that's why Paul says here that we are to be grateful for everything. Everything. Because we have no idea how God is going to use even that painful thing in, in our lives. Let's think of a couple of things we can be grateful for. Just as we sort of survey the scripture in different places. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1 is a judgment passage. A judgment passage. And yet in Isaiah 1, the prophet Isaiah says, Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. You hear what the prophet's saying? That even in God's judgment, he has shown mercy. 
We're to be thankful to God for His grace. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you glad for no condemnation? I hope so. We're to be thankful to God for His goodness. Psalm 107, 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord for He is Good. We're also to be thankful to God for his guidance in the 23rd Psalm where David said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He goes on there to say, He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's grateful for God's guidance. 1 Corinthians 15.57 reminds us to give thanks to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 1, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He was so grateful at what God had done in their lives and that God was going to finish what he had started in them. And so we need to be thankful for one another and what God is doing in our midst. Sort of a sampling there. As I mentioned at the outset of the message, turn with me to Psalm 103. Listen to what King David says there. In in verse 2 he says that we are not to forget all of God's kind deeds. And David, just like the Apostle Paul, sort of starts giving a laundry list of all of God's kindnesses. Look at what David says. He says, he's the one who forgives all of your sins. Are you glad to be forgiven? Are you glad to know that because Christ bore your transgressions, you will never have to stand before God at the judgment and bear your own transgressions because Christ did. He says He heals all your diseases. Does He heal all of our diseases? He will. Read Revelation 21 where the Bible says he's going to make all things new one day. Read what is being said about the new heavens and the new earth. That there's not going to be any more death. There's not going to be any more suffering. There's there's going to be no more sickness. Because he says all the former things have passed away. And so indeed he is going to heal all of our diseases. He delivers your life from the pit. David is saying there, God has rescued me from from hell. He crowns you with his loyal love and compassion. He satisfies your life with good things. He's patient. He he demonstrates great loyal love. That Hebrew word chesed, covenant love, uh, loyal love, kindness, the kindness and grace and mercy of God. And then I love this one. In verse 10, David says, He does not deal with us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us as our misdeeds as our misdeeds deserve. Aren't you glad God doesn't give you what you deserve? What am I saying? I'm, 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 I'm saying you and I, if we'll just stop and think about it, we have good reason to be a grateful people. If we just take time, 
Instead of rushing on with life and getting in a hurry every day with life, if we'll take some time in our prayer time and devotion time to give thanks and start thinking about some of the things that God has done for us, hopefully it'll change our attitudes. Now secondly, I want you to see the explanation. He's given us the admonition that thanksgiving is to be ongoing, it's to be all-encompassing. Well, look secondly at the explanation in verse 18b. He goes on to say, For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's the this that he's referring to? Well, it goes back to the giving thanks in all things. And he says, this is what is the will of God for you. It's not the will of God for us to be negative, for us to be complainers and critical all the time. I I read about a fella that his wife said to him, honey, get up, it's a beautiful day outside. He said, yes, but... A beautiful warm day means it's getting closer to summer. And so that means also I'm going to have to get out and cut the grass. She said, but you bought that brand new lawnmower to make it easier. He said, yeah, but I paid too much for it. She said, well, when you get done, let's go out for supper tonight. We can go and get your favorite dish. You loved it last time, the the fish that you so love at that restaurant. He said, yeah, but you know, it had bones in it. She said, and afterwards, we've been invited to go over to the Joneses for dessert and coffee. She always fixes your favorite dessert. He said, yeah, but her coffee's too hot. She said, then we're all going to go out and see a movie. You know, dinner and a movie. He said, yeah, but that theater's too loud. You ever met anybody like that? Sure you have. Somehow or another on Sunday morning, many of them find their way into church. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, if a Christian can't be thankful, who can Paul says here it's God's will to be thankful. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot went as missionaries to the uh, to the Kachia Indians of Ecuador. While there, they came into contact with the Alka Indians. The Alkas were a fierce tribal group who killed everyone who had previously come into contact with them. After entering Alka territory and believing that they had befriended three of the tribal members, Jim and four of his missionary friends were savagely speared to death. Elizabeth and their 10-month-old baby girl, Valerie, went to live among the Chiquia tribe. And through that experience, she was able to reach with the gospel the very Alka Indians who had murdered her husband. She discovered that among some of these tribes, ethics and morals as we know them are virtually non-existent. She also noticed that in their language there was no word for gratitude. 
When speaking to outsiders, they had to borrow a word from the Spaniards. But when talking to members of their tribe on the inside, they had absolutely no word for gratitude, no word for thanksgiving. Now folks, think about that. Here was a group of people who had no understanding of God, no knowledge of God. No knowledge of the salvation of God in Christ. And corresponding to that, they had no word for gratitude. No knowledge of God. No gratitude. Christians who know God ought to be the most grateful people on the face of the earth. Gratitude should not be absence be absent from our vocabulary. He says, In everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you. I guarantee you, if you could go around town and interview every pastor you know and say what is the number one thing people approach you about that they want to know more about, what would that be? I know what a pastor is going to tell you because I know what people ask us all the time. Pastor, can you help me discover the will of God? People want to know the will of God. Number one question we're asked. And you know, sometimes the, the will of God seems sort of difficult for us to know. But you see what Paul is saying here? In everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you. Gratitude is the will of God. And notice how personal it is. Sometimes we read the Bible and we're reading something and we say, you know what, that that sounds good for somebody else. But I can sort of overlook that. No. Paul says this is the will of God for you. It's personal. It's not simply for somebody else. It's for you. In everything, give thanks to God, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. If you know God and know of His saving work in Christ, gratitude and thanksgiving is to be very much a part of your vocabulary Because it is to be very much in your heart. Would you bow in prayer with me this morning? And as you do, could it be said that you live a grateful life? Now, I didn't didn't ask you if you're grateful about certain things. Of course you're grateful about certain things. Everybody's grateful about certain things. But my question is... Could your very life be described as a life of gratitude? 
And if not, why not? If you're a blood-bought child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, why are you not living a life of gratitude? And if you're not living a life of gratitude, I'm not going to simply ask you to do better. The biblical word is repentance. You see, it's not just a a slight mistake we're making. It is sin. And the biblical admonition for dealing with sin is repentance. If you're not a grateful person, you need repentance in your life. Also, are you currently going through a trial where gratitude has been difficult? That's understandable. But again, from what we've said this morning, God is a good, good Father, and it is in that trial, it's in that hardship, where He may be wanting to teach you the most about His sustaining grace. Be grateful for that trial, even though you may not initially feel like it. Give thanks. And see what God does with your attitude. And see what God ends up doing with that trial in your life. There may be a day that you shout hallelujah, praise the Lord to God over that trial. You wouldn't want to go through it again necessarily, but you're glad you went through it that one time. Give thanks. Father, we thank you that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no shifting shadows. You're constant in your care, you're constant in your love and in your grace and mercy. So God, every day, ongoing in our lives, may we be grateful in all things, knowing that we are living out your will as we do so. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning I may be speaking to someone who does not know God. And you know you need to know Him. You're lost. You've never been reconciled to Him. The Bible describes a Christian as being a person who is at peace with God. I can't think of anything better than being at peace with God. But you know that you're not at peace with God. You need to be born again from above. It's more than simply walking down an aisle, joining a church. It's more than even being baptized. We do all those things because we have been saved. My question is, have you ever been regenerated from above? That's something God does. Why don't you throw yourself on the mercy of God and ask Him to do that in your life? Are you going through something that's been tough? 
Maybe you want to come to the altar this morning in a public way or just right there in your pew. Give thanks to God for that. And patiently wait on Him for what He's going to show you through that.